Um, but today we're going to jump into Luke's gospel. And uh, if you were around in the early days of vintage, you'll know that we said we're going to work through Luke's gospel together. Um, and after four years, three and a half years, we have made it to Luke chapter nine. So we are not going that fast. But the good news is over the next four or five weeks, we're going to look together all the way through Luke 9. Um, but before we jump into it today, I want to throw some words at you. And I want you to be honest and just receive these words and, and feel them. See how you feel about these words. Okay, ready? Um, evangelism, mission, salvation, and conversion. Okay, you heard them, you've got them. Okay, now, is there, um, is there anybody in the room who's like, I, I everything about every one of those words, I absolutely love it, I'm all in. Goodness gracious. I was like hoping for one. One would have been good, okay, no. All right, okay, anybody have like just a little bit of a kind of like strong negative reaction to at least one or two of them? Okay, a few of you. I don't know what the rest of you have, but okay. There's, there's something, isn't there, about topics like evangelism, mission, conversion, salvation, which are complex. Like, they're really difficult topics to have. If you were to go back 50 years in a place like Pasadena, you would have walked the streets and heard all about people like Billy Graham, who were these incredible evangelists who were able to take what was probably widely considered to be true in a Christian worldview out there and help people to make these decisions of faith to kind of cross over into a personal Christian faith. And we're grateful. I bet you there are some people in this room who gave their life to Jesus at an event, at a moment, through an evangelist like Billy Graham. But of course, if you fast forward to today, the world feels much more complicated, doesn't it? I mean, even the very nature of what is truth is so difficult to talk about. How do you define what is true? And is what is true for me, true for you, true for other people? And then when you add into that the plethora of different worldviews around spirituality and faith and religion, it leaves us in these moments where actually to talk about Jesus as distinctive and beautiful and different can feel very hard. Even in the world that we swim in and we work in and we live in, people's baggage that they carry about the church and what is good and bad, even in Christianity, is very strong. So what do we do? Well, I think the answer is in today's text. And so I want us to look uh, now at Luke 9, verses 1 to 9, and Nera's going to come up and read it. And just as she comes, just to remind you, Luke uh, is all about the story of Jesus. It starts with his birth. We went through the beginning of his ministry. Lots of people saying, wow, he's the one. Like, he's doing the stuff. People are finding salvation and healing. And yet other people are going like, actually, no, we don't like this guy at all. So let's read. Nira's going to read for us Luke 9, 1 through 9. Good morning. All right. Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the twelve. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave the, that town. If people do not welcome you, 
leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Thank you. So you've got Jesus, and around Jesus are these 12 young Jewish men. Like, let's be honest, a complete mixed bag of personalities, of religious views, of political views, of cultural backgrounds, a complete mix. But for months, if not years at this point, they've been watching Jesus. They've been observing him. They've marveled as he's performed miracles, as he's cast out demons, as he's proclaimed this new kingdom of God. And then suddenly, like seemingly, at least the way Luke describes it, out of the blue, Jesus suddenly goes from like, great, watch me, to now you do it. You do it. And I can't even begin to imagine like what that would have felt like to receive that in the moment from, from Jesus. Um, anyone been watching The Chosen recent over the last few, few years? Yeah, it's three people. Awesome. Okay, so if you if if you if you want some homework, if you're that any of the, the, you're that kind of person who loves homework, um, then watch The Chosen um, because it is an amazing way of getting behind the story of the cultural context. And if you haven't watched The Chosen yet, here is a little clip from this moment in the story. The same as a messenger, one who I know what it means, Matthew. That's why I'm asking. You are my leaders. And for this mission I have for you, it's best that you spread out and not be concentrated in one place. I, I don't understand. I'm going to go home to Nazareth for a time. And while I'm there, I'm sending you out in every direction, two by two, specifically to our people only. Every direction, Rabbi? Yes, but not to the Gentiles. Not yet. That will come in time. But to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Just as Joshua led the 12 tribes to take the promised land. You will proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while you are on this mission, you will heal the sick and the lame by anointing them with oil. You will cast out demons. You will clean. What? Why are you all looking at me like that? <laughs> uh, could, could you just repeat that one more time? I'm sending you out two by two, proclaiming as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Uh, how soon are we talking about here? <laughs> 
so good. I don't know if you saw it on the screens, but it's all in the facial expressions. Right? It's all in the facial expressions. But imagine being in that room where suddenly Jesus says to you, okay, you have seen me do it, now you are called to go. It would have freaked me out big time, if I'm honest. But yeah, what we're witnessing is actually part of the Missio Dei. This is part of God's story, his mission in the world. If you talk to great theologians, of which I'm not, they'll tell you that this movement of the Trinity is at work. God the Father sends Jesus into the world. Jesus sends the Spirit into the world. And the Spirit sends the church And what does this sending process look like? It is all about joining in with God's mission, like God's plan, God's story, what God wants to happen on the earth. And if you follow it, you will see what happens. Days 12, they go out into the area around Galilee and they return. Later on, 72 go. Then after Jesus goes back to heaven, the church expands throughout like the region, through the western part of Asia, northern Africa, eastern Europe. After that, it continues throughout the Roman Empire and on and on and on. And if, if we're honest, like those of us who are here today, we are here because somebody passed on the good news of Jesus. Somebody told us. Somebody told us about salvation and healing and transformation and new life. I mean, let's just, let's just do a little straw poll again, check we're all uh, awake and, and here. Okay, so uh, who here felt like the, the, probably the primary person who told you about Jesus was like an immediate family member? Okay. Who would say that primary person was a church pastor or a youth leader or a kids pastor or something like that? That dude at the back. Cool. No, excellent. Uh, Who would say it was somebody totally different to to any of those kind of people? All right. Nice. Okay. Would someone just shout out, if you just put your hand out, anyone brave enough to tell me who it was who told you about Jesus? Sorry? Colleague. Awesome. Best friend. Classmate, classmate, anyone totally different? Daughter-in-law, that's cool. Okay, there's lots. I can't quite hear from here, but isn't it interesting that we all heard from someone? Now, I would say like, that that's a great thing. Like, I am extremely grateful to, in my life, uh, family members, but also people in my church who've walked with me for years and years until it finally clicked in my mind that I could have a personal relationship with Jesus. I am so grateful that people were brave enough to tell me. There's something beautiful about it. But there's also something quite hard, I think. If we're really honest, if you look at the last 2,000 years about how Christianity has moved through the world, we have to be honest and say that it's not always been good. It's not always been good. If you look at how Christianity spread through the Roman Empire, how it then went throughout like Europe, and then even as I look at my own country, British Isles, and, and look at how we took Christianity and colonized how we mixed up the good news of Jesus with power and desire to conquer and impose culture and language and dress code and taxation, if I'm honest, it's been a mess. Even here in California, if we look at the history of California, we've got to admit that not always how Christianity has traveled has been done well or beautifully or with a kingdom focus. Even today, 
the methods of evangelism, ways that we speak about faith seem to be mixed up and cause us sometimes cause for concern. But despite that, there's something beautiful here. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, I want to suggest that maybe the big thing that's missing in the, or what has been missing at times in the last 2,000 years has not been whether we go, but it's how we go. And so I want to look in this passage with you at five quick things which Jesus says to us. And the first one is this. When you go, go low. Go low. I think so often Christianity has been communicated with power. It has been communicated in a cultural narrative that's always been about wealth and civilization and bringing everything to bear upon another person. When actually notice what Jesus says in verse 3. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Just hear those words a minute. So so you're going to go to another town or another city. You're not going to necessarily know anyone there. And when you go, do not take a staff, which would have been your protection, the thing to support you. Don't take a bag, which is obviously a container, but it's actually also a pillow. Don't take bread and money, the things that you need to sustain yourself. Don't even take a shirt, which feels a bit stinky to me, but is actually about a blanket. Like, do not take anything which would give you an opportunity to stand outside of the culture and be self-sufficient and self-supporting and be in a place of power so that you can then tell everybody what they need to hear. Rather, when you go, arrive into a town, and what are you going to need to do? Receive. Receive. The very first thing you're going to need is the hospitality of another. You're going to need food. You're going to need a bed. You're going to need a home to stay in, and which means you don't give that. You receive it. You are first of all in the debt of other people. I was really struck by these two pictures of evangelism this week. Uh, this is the first one. I, I won't ask you, ask you to comment, but the lady in the back's facial expression is very funny, if you can see it well enough. right? Look at that picture, and now look at this one. Can you see the difference? Right? When Jesus says go, he says go and be in community. Go and receive from others. Go and live with others. Go and stay with others in such a way that you can have a relationship. You can have a friendship. You can have a dialogue to be able to bring what you know to be true, but recognizing that you actually have things that you can learn too along the way. Right? One of the reasons we love Alpha here so much at Vintage is because when we invite people to Alpha, what we say to them is, we want to hear what you have to say. Right? Sometimes as Christians, I think we think we have the answer to everything. Right? I can tell you what music you should listen to. I can tell you what TV you should watch. I can tell you what you should dress in, where you should be on a Sunday. I can tell you everything. The truth is the gospel is actually does go to everything, but there is a whole lot of things we can learn from the world outside us if we're prepared to be humble and listen and watch. So we go low. Second thing uh, Jesus says is go holistically. Go holistically. Verse two, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Right, just notice there's two different dynamics at play there in the motion. The first one is proclamation. And there are no doubt about what that means. It is to tell people truth. It is to proclaim that there is truth, 
that Jesus is real, that salvation is on offer, and it is a universally held thing that people need. I think sometimes we are so bombarded as Christians with messages against that. We're told all the time, aren't we, like, just keep it to yourself, be quiet, it's not true, it might be true for you, it's not true for anyone else, just keep it there. We're so bombarded, or at least I am, that we can feel like, oh, this can't actually be true for everyone. Maybe this morning I need to hear the words of Jesus again when he says this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, not one, comes to the Father God except through me. Maybe I need to hear the words again of Jesus when he says, whoever believes in the Son, that's Jesus, has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Tough, hard words. Maybe we need to hear the words of Peter in the first church when he said, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. These are not easy words to hear. They're not easy words to say, but they are very, very clear words from Jesus to us. But how can people understand? How can people possibly respond to that unless they hear it? Paul says in Romans 10, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one for whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching it to them? But that is unequivocal. That is challenging. How can somebody come to faith unless they hear the good news of Jesus from themselves? It strikes me that we have to contend with the reality that either the good news of Jesus was true then, it is true now, and it is always true, or it was never true, it's not true today, and it will never be true. In which case, let's go to the beach. Right? That's it. It doesn't give us a whole lot of room to maneuver within us. Are we prepared for truth? But, notice the other dynamic. Proclamation of truth, but also heal the sick. Healing. Why does Jesus put that there? Why did Jesus' life look like that? Well, clearly because the good news of Jesus is more than just a ticket to heaven one day. That what Jesus is concerned with is not just taking souls to heaven. He's concerned with the whole story, the whole person, the whole reality. That what Jesus wants to do in my life and your life and your friend's life and my life is to transform everything about who they are. Which means that when we go, we, we bring healing. Which means we care. Which means we serve which means we love because Jesus loves and he cares for people. There is no doubt a challenge of truth, but it has to be done in a vehicle, through a vehicle of love. Otherwise, it's like that dude shouting in the street corner. It's angry and unforgiving. So we go low, we go holistically. Thirdly, we go, we go light. I don't mean like just light. I mean, I came back from holiday, so light, light is my goal. But we... But, but, He says in verse four, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. So basically, right, you're going to go to a town that you don't know people very well. You're going to have to receive hospitality. You're going to stay with someone. 
And you're to stay there as long as you are welcome to receive and the gospel is on the tables. Just stay in that moment. Now, I find that really challenging. I find it really challenging because basically it is a responsive, Holy Spirit-fueled ministry which doesn't seem to have a whole lot of strategic planning involved. And I find that hard. Right. I don't know if anyone else is in the room like this, but I love to strategize and plan. I love it. If you leave me alone for long enough, I will get a whiteboard, I'll get a flip chart, and I'll start drawing arrows. Like, I love it. Like, or I'll get a spreadsheet and start putting things into it. Like, I love to do that. I love to think about what's happening now, what might happen next, what might happen in a year's time, five years' time. Like, I love that stuff. Like a, a little bit earlier in the year, Laura and I, we, we started to plan out our futures a bit. We were like, okay, let's think about vintage for the next two, five years. Let's think about our lives. Let's think about where we might live. Let's think about what neighborhood, what schools. Let's even think about like where to go on vacation this year because we're going to need a vacation at this point. And if we want to have a vacation here, we should try and stay there. And if we want to stay there, we're going to need air miles because we can't afford to go there. So how are we going to get air miles? Okay, we're going to need to shop in these grocery stores. <laughs> right. You're all looking guilty, right? You shop in these grocery stores so that we can go on vacation there. Right? I had it sorted, honestly. I was like, this is a good plan. Now, this is not a prophetic word for your life, but what God seemed to do with my plan was that he smiled and nodded and tore it to shreds. <laughs> right? He did. W within two weeks of me finalizing my great plan, right, US immigration changed all of their laws about green cards and basically took us from a place of having great security to having none. Honestly, we were told you can't travel, you can't see family, you can't go on vacation, and by the way, you might not be able to stay in the US past the end of the year. But honestly, that was, the, that was the news. And I had to come to a place, I'm like, oh my goodness, I might not actually be as in control as I thought it was. By a complete act of miracle, and it was, we got this emergency, permit, emergency travel permit to go on vacation last week. But as I stood on a beach in Mexico, praise the Lord, like I, I stood there, honestly, I had to just say, like, honestly, God, I'm not in control. Like, I do not have ability to predict the future. I do not control the future. Today is a gift of grace. And so how can I serve you today? How can I serve you today? And I just wonder... And I preach this to myself, not to you, so you can take it if you want it, but I'm chastising myself publicly for a moment, right? I wonder if my desire to control my calendar, to control my future, to control my week, to fit everything neatly together, might even be the very thing that stops me from engaging with others with the good news of Jesus. Right? I wonder if God said to me today, hey Ben, can you just take a detour? Can you just cancel your plans for the afternoon and can you just go and talk to this person? They really need to hear that I love them. I wonder if I could even say yes or if I'd honestly have to say to God, I'm free on Wednesday afternoon for 12 minutes. <laughs> honestly, like, do, does my desire to be in control of my schedule and my time and my decisions and all the outcomes actually stop me from engaging with the very person who God might put in front of me today? for what the Holy Spirit might want to do with me on the way home today, or on the Zoom call tomorrow morning, or in my school, or my college? Who is it that God is putting in front of you today? 
But I wonder if it's not just about controlling outcomes. I wonder if it actually is stuff. Like, I, I, you know, when Jesus is so tough about stuff, I'm like, why? Why are you doing that, Jesus? It seems uncomfortable to me that people can't take a spare pair of underwear. It doesn't seem right. But I wonder if stuff plays a role. You know, uh, five years ago, Laura and I were, uh, we spent nine months in England getting rid of all our stuff. We did it because we, were, we thought we were moving to the west side of LA. Um, we thought we were going to live in a tiny apartment over there and serve vintage on that side of town. And so we went through months and months of getting rid of our stuff. Like, honestly, the person in the thrift store in our town was like, please just stop. Like, just do not come back here. Your stuff has no value to anyone else. Just leave it alone, right? We've eBayed, we Facebook Marketplace, we did everything we could. And we were excited, honestly. I was like, man, I'm going to go with almost nothing and we're going to live in this outdoor West Side LA place and it's going to be on the beach and community and living simply. I was like, we were all about it. I had to conclude last week when I thought about this. Five years on, I have more stuff in my life than I have ever had before. Now, it's not that we go out and spend a lot of money. If you know us, we don't, we don't do that. But it's just that we seem to swim in the water of materialism. Right? Anyone else swim there too? I, it seems to take more effort to get rid of stuff than to get it. I don't know why this is. I don't know why this is. But I, the other week, I, I got up at um, on Saturday morning. I get up early, go to the gym. You can't tell, I know. right? And, and, and I was driving back to my house, and there were cars parked everywhere, like all over the neighborhood. And those sort of ominous big signs, estate sale. Right? And I was like, man, I've never been to an estate sale. It would be culturally relevant to me to, uh, to go and receive. So I parked up my car, and sure enough, one of our neighbors just around the side of our house had, there was an elderly couple, and they died, and they were clearing out the house. And so I sort of cautiously walked up the driveway. 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning, there were easily 100 people there. Easily 100 people. And at first, I was a little bit appalled because they were ripping the house to shreds. You know, like people were carrying mattresses out and like plates and bits of wall hangings. I was like, what is this? Five more minutes later though, I was like, hmm, there's a wheelbarrow. It's like, mm. it's like, wow, look, look at those Christmas lights. 15 minutes in, I was like, Laura, get around here immediately. Bring the kids, we need you. Right? After 25 minutes, I, having handed a few notes to the person, was handing bits of garden furniture over the wall of their backyard into my backyard, like literally posting it like mail over the top of the wall. It's like, this is amazing. Now, I have to be clear. I did not wake up on the Saturday morning thinking, if only, if only I could get myself some new garden chairs or a wheelbarrow, my life would be better. But it's just kind of how it works, isn't it? Like, all the time, like buy this, get this, get a bargain, get a deal. And some of you will even know the stat, and I don't, for how many times we're bombarded with a buy message in a day. It's incredibly high. And it's not that I think God is against stuff. I, I think God made it, so I think he's okay with it. It's just that, again, I ask myself the question, to what extent is me filling my life with clutter the thing that might separate me from others. Right, just think about it, right? What's the promise of getting stuff? Happiness, 
status, security, comfort. And the goal is like, if you get enough of those things in your life, you can surround yourself with this whole safety buffer zone where you are totally cut off, totally independent, totally comfortable, and you don't need to interact with other human beings. When Jesus says, go with nothing, maybe he understood something. Maybe he understood something. Maybe my desire to constantly keep feeding the wheel of having things, which obviously then just keep needing feeding and repairing and replacing, might actually be a cycle that keeps me away from engaging with the person in great need who walks past me on the street, who actually needs to know that Jesus loved them today, that actually stops me just looking people in the eye. This week, I actually, for the first time in a while, just took a walk around my neighborhood and I looked people in the eye as they walked past me and I said, good morning, I know, radical. And I had like five good conversations with people. I thought, and that's what happens when you don't get in your car and drive to work. That's just what happens when you walk around your block. I wonder how many people today are walking past this building or walking past your house who actually will never get to engage with us because we're inside the doors rather than out on the streets like Dave was talking about a few minutes ago. It strikes me that, that mission and evangelism is actually supposed to be this sort of whirlwind responsive tour to the good news of Jesus, not some sort of strategic colonization to get more stuff or be in more control. So we go light, we go low. But I think we also, fourthly, go together. We go together. And this um, encourages me greatly. And when Jesus sends out those disciples, he sends them out in twos. And to me, that seems like a wonderful thing. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been the person, the, non, the only Christian on a sports team, or I've been the only Christian in a workplace. And it's tough when you're in that environment. But I love the sense of community here, that this is about community sending in order to bring people into community. It's both parts. And both parts seem to really matter in the picture. Like, I love that, you know, here at Vintage, all the time we say to community groups, like, ask the question, who are you praying for? And the idea is that together we can pray for others. Like, together we can be invitational to others. Like, I wonder what it means to even be a kind of invitational community. Like what, what does it mean to actually be able to say, like, hey, would you come? Now, I have lots of friends who are never going to walk into a church on a Sunday morning. But yesterday, we had a V Families event. And so we invited some families from school to come and hang out and swim and have some fun. It's actually kind of easy, and they came. Like, what could it mean for me to say to my colleague, like, hey, we've got this marriage course going on in the fall, like... Maybe it would just be a blessing to you if you want to talk about you know, your marriage a little bit. Or, or we're running this event in the park. Do you want to just come and hang out in the park with us? What would it look like to be that kind of community that is a community together of people that invite people into a deeper sense of community? That we go together. We do it together. We spur one another on together. We encourage each other along the journey. But also, finally, that we go prayerfully. We go in prayer. I, I love the sense in this passage and all of the passages, wherever Jesus says go, there is this recognition 
that we can never do it on our own. We can never do it on our own. You can't heal someone. You can't cast out a demon. You can't even see someone come to faith in Jesus. You just can't. I can't. No one can. The only way this is possible is about a supernatural move of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. It's just that God so chooses to join us into his story. There's a wonderful old phrase which says, don't talk to your friends about Jesus until you've talked to Jesus about your friends. I think that is great, great advice. Because ultimately, this is a process. This is about somebody bringing, bring, finding transformation and healing and forgiveness. It's a process that transforms a life, but it's so far beyond what we can do, you know. Um, I had a friend um, at, at university. Um, she was not a Christian. In fact, we, we were a little group of friends on our bus- in business school, and there were two of us who were Christians and the rest of not. And... Um, me and my Christian buddy, we just said, well, why don't we, why don't we pray for our, our, our non-Christian friends? We're just going to commit to pray and try and bless them for a long period of time. And so we just did, simply, over and over again. And we never even were brave enough, I don't think, to even tell our friends about Jesus. We didn't tell them we were praying for them. I think we might have invited them to some things. But, you know, university finished, and I went on, and Laura and I got married, and we invited them all to come to our wedding, and Yes, they definitely heard the good news of Jesus at our wedding. And, you know, then kind of the years passed and I lost track. And honestly, I forgot to pray for this particular girl somewhere along the way. Um, but, but a bunch of years later, a lot later, like literally as Laura and I were moving to L.A., she, she messaged me. Now, she, she was always quite a wild friend. You know, she was, she was all about the party, it would be fair to say. And she messaged me. She said, I see you're moving to Pasadena, California. Like, this is amazing. And you're going to plant a church. I was like, yes. She said, she said, a few years after university, I took a gap year and I went to Australia and I went to this great church that someone invited me to and I gave my life to Jesus. But, and it radically changed everything about who I was. And now I'm a missionary married to a guy and we're going to be Mex- missionaries in Mexico. And like my jaw like dropped, <laughs> like my expectations of, my, of all the friends I have that this would be the friend who would like suddenly come to faith in Jesus, not so high, but yet like God was at work. I don't know if you know this, but God is at work in all of your friends. He's at work in all of your family members. He's at work in all of your colleagues. And we don't know often. We don't know who's just waiting for an invitation or who needs prayer, or needs to know that there is a God who loves them. You know, we are called to be a community of people who, who are bravely loving in the way that we speak of faith. To be a church is actually to be a church that not just loves Jesus or even not just loves one another, but it's to be a church that goes into the world. So as I finish, I just want to, I just want to offer you this this invitation, because the truth is this is a joyful journey, and it's supposed to be joyful. When the 72 do return, it actually says they returned with joy, proclaiming that even the demons submit to the name of Jesus. And there's supposed to be something of fun in all of this. I honestly don't know anything better in my whole life than watching friends, watching colleagues, watching family members, so, like come to a faith in Jesus. 
You know, it is life transformingly beautiful despite whatever the world says. And so I want us to just think maybe even this week, what could it look like tomorrow morning to tell someone about Jesus? What could it look like tomorrow morning even just to admit that you went to church and the preacher was amazing and really funny? Like, you, know, you can leave that bit out. Right? What would it look like tomorrow to say that actually God is doing something in your life? What would it look like tomorrow to offer to pray for someone? What would it look like tomorrow to take a walk around your neighborhood and look someone in the eye and just say good morning and ask them how they're doing? I don't think this has to be complicated. It can be small. It can be just the most minutia things. But I know, because even the data tells us, there, there are people everywhere waiting, waiting to be asked, waiting to be invited, waiting for someone to reach out to them because they're desperate to find out what is true and real. And so I, 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 I want to leave you with that little bit of a challenge, but I also want to pray because as I said, I don't think we can ever do this on our own. And so let me, let me pray, and then we're going to come to communion as the kids come back. Father, we, we love you. And we're so grateful that you have transformed our lives. Thank you for putting somebody into our stories who was brave enough and bold enough to share the good news of Jesus with us. Thank you for the healing we found, for the hope, for the forgiveness. Thank you for the life that we have found in you. And Lord, we ask even this week that you might grant us a moment or two to just share something of our stories, something of that hope with somebody else. Lord, would you even ordain moments as we go home today or as we go to work tomorrow, or as we walk to the grocery store, or whatever we're doing, would you grant us some moments this week which are opportunities to communicate something of your love to others? We trust you and we love you. And we believe that you will do that. So in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Amen.